if you don't stand up for yourself, won't you just get run over? You know, the Sermon on the Mount, it says, blessed are the meek. But is meekness just, is that just going to get you run over in this life? Where's the blessing in that? Where is the blessing in that? These are the questions that we have to wrestle with as we come to the third beatitude. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there to Matthew chapter 5. So we're continuing in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus says some things that challenge us, that make us stop and ask questions. And rightfully so. So we'll be in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 5 this morning. It says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, in these Beatitudes, Jesus describes the one who is blessed. To be blessed in the Beatitudes is to have God's favor, is to have God's approval. These portrayals of the blessed, they aren't to be taken as works that Jesus is calling us to do in order for God to accept us and to save us. Rather, these are descriptions of the person that God accepts and saves by grace alone, for Jesus Christ's sake alone. Jesus lived perfectly on the behalf of sinners. He lived each one of these beatitudes in perfection. He died for lawbreakers. You know, my kids have my last name, Seawald. They have my last name, but sharing my last name doesn't make them my children. Rather, because they're my children, they share my last name. So here in the Beatitudes, the truly saved person, the true follower of Christ, is to be described by these. But they're not saved because they are meek. They're not saved because they're poor in spirit. Rather, they're poor in spirit. They're meek. They mourn. They're merciful because of who they are, because of what God is doing and has done in their hearts. God saves everyone who has come to God by faith in Christ. Not because of anything good in them, but only because of what Jesus did, living perfectly in obedience and dying on the cross for disobedience, for all who trust in him. And they shall be saved by faith alone, not by works. He forgives them of every sin and makes them heirs of eternal life. And on judgment day, rather than being condemned to hell, he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into my rest. This is the same one who died on a Roman cross for sins. And he will bring sinners who trust in him to the new creation, to the new heavens and the new earth, to the place that he has gone ahead to prepare for those who love him. But in the meantime, God, the Holy Spirit, is with every true believer, helping them, little by little, to overcome the old sinful ways and to express their love for God by obedience to God, 
Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. It's how we express our love for God. By being poor in spirit, by growing in humility before God, by mourning over our sin in repentance, confessing it to God. And this week, we'll consider that the true follower of Jesus is meek. And the Holy Spirit helps the believer to be meek. It's a way of expressing our love for God. As we'll see, every follower of Jesus is to be meek. These beatitudes, they're not optional. These aren't different strokes for different folks. These aren't different ways of being a Christian, you know, based on, you know, different personalities. You know, some people are meek, some people aren't. That's just who they are. You know, it's just not their, not their strength. It's not their personality. But rather, these are meant to describe every true believer, every follower of Christ, we are all called to be meek. We'll take this, this statement in Matthew 5, verse 5 this morning in two parts. First, we'll consider what is it to be meek? What is it? What's meekness? Because it's often misunderstood. And then secondly, we'll consider how God blesses the meek. What kind of blessing does God promise them? What does it mean to inherit the earth? So first... What is it to be meek? What's meekness anyways? Bible scholars tell us that the word translated into English as meek, it means humble, gentle, considerate, courteous, exercising the the self-control necessary to these characteristics. The word means mild or soft, you know, it was sometimes used to describe a, a soothing medicine or a soft breeze. It was used uh, to describe colts and other wild animals who had been tamed and, and they were now submissive to their master. Their, their wild spirit had been broken and now they were able to do useful work. But it didn't necessarily mean that the animal who had been trained and, and broken was now weak and unable to do anything having lost its strength. Meekness doesn't mean weakness, but power under control. It doesn't mean being wishy-washy and unable to hold firm convictions. It doesn't mean being unable to take a stand when needed. Moses was meek, and yet Moses had righteous anger at times. He had unrighteous anger at times, but sometimes his anger was justified. It was good. He was indignant when when unfaithful Israel was rebelling against God and going after idols. Moses, though, he wasn't angry for his own sake because he'd been offended personally, but he was rather, he was zealous for God's glory. Jesus was meek, And yet he knew when to be firm. He knew when to to speak a strong word. Meekness is not to be confused with passivity or being a pacifist. The meek can still defend others. The meek can still stand up for the truth and the honor of God. Meekness also doesn't mean that you have to remain in a situation where you're being mistreated. There are many instances when to do so would actually be wrong. And it wouldn't be loving to other people. 
or to God. There are times when it is right and loving to confront someone boldly. There are times when it's necessary to take a matter to an authority, to remove yourself from a harmful situation. And one can still be meek and do this. The key is what's motivating you? What's the motivation? Is the motivation love for God and love for others? Or is it prideful self-interest and, and selfishness? Is it being indignant because, you know, I deserve to be treated better than I am? What's the motivation? Meekness is not something purely biological. It's not just a, a personality trait that people are just born with. You know, uh, Dr. Lloyd-Jones, a pastor in the last century, he said, one dog is nicer than another and one cat is nicer than another. But that's not meekness. The meekness that Jesus speaks of here isn't a natural trait found in some people by birth. Rather, it's a supernatural trait found in those who have had the second birth. It's a character quality found in those who have been born again by the Holy Spirit. Meekness is found in those who are humble, who by the gracious work of the Holy Spirit have seen their spiritual poverty. Those who are poor in spirits, as the first beatitude said. They've come to see that they're utterly unworthy before God. And they've come to mourn and lament their sin. They repent. You won't find true meekness among the proud and self-righteous. You just won't. This heavenly fruit isn't native to this world. The spiritual fruit of meekness doesn't grow on the thorn bushes of prideful entitlement and arrogant self-righteousness. True meekness grows from hearts the Holy Spirit has first prepared by plowing them with the tiller of conviction, breaking up the hard soil of pride. What's the difference between meekness and being poor in spirit? Because we've been talking about a little how uh, humility is essential to meekness, but there's more to it than just humility. While poverty in spirit, the first beatitude, and, and mourning, the second beatitude, they have more to do with us and our relationship toward God. Meekness usually has to do with our relationship towards other people. Lloyd-Jones put it well when he said, Meekness is essentially a true view of oneself expressing itself in attitude and conduct with respect to others. So it's a true view of myself, but it's expressing itself in our relationships with other people. How does that come out as we interact with people in a world where we're not always treated right? Meekness, it flows from humility. It flows from humility like juice from a good, ripe watermelon. You know, when you cut it open and that juice just comes out. When the, the truly humble person is cut, what comes out? But there won't be any true meekness if there's no true humility. To be meek is to be self-effacing rather than self-asserting. 
it's modest. Rather than putting yourself in the spotlight and seeking attention for yourself, the meek are content to be in the background. And they don't sit there sulking in self-pity, wishing that people would give them more attention. But rather, they're content that, that others should have the, the stage and others should have the center of attention. They celebrate others, esteeming them worthier than themselves. They're content. Sometimes in conversation, we aren't content to just appreciate something good that someone else said. Sometimes, and, and I've found myself doing this, sometimes we, uh, you know, somebody else might say something wise or, or good about a topic, and we feel the need to, to rush in and, you know, put in our two cents, you know, add some nuance to what they've said, you know, add our enlightening comments. We can't just appreciate what they've said and say, you know, that was so good, that's, that's well put, and just let it be. We feel like we have to rush in and say something, too, to kind of share the spotlight a little bit. Do you feel that every time you get together with other people, you start thinking of, you know, what wisdom can I share with them? How can I enlighten these folks? What enlightening statement can I add to this conversation? We have to be careful. Do we have a a teachable spirit? Do you often think, rather than what can I teach them, what can I learn from them? What might these people have to teach me? Knowing that I haven't arrived and I still have a lot to learn. We need to be careful. We need to examine our hearts. You know, there are times when it's loving to add something to the conversation. It's, it's loving to try to think of uh, some helpful statement we can say. You know, I'm not saying that there's not a time for that, but we just need to guard our hearts and, and guard our words and, and consider, why am I saying what I'm saying? Is it, to, is it so that we'll be thought well of and we'll be well-respected? Or is it truly to help? Is it truly to to bring glory and honor to God? What's the motive behind our speaking? Or sometimes not speaking. What's the motive? Do you always need to have the last word in a conversation? Do you always have to to win the argument? Have the final say? When's the last time you told someone else, you know what, you're right. You're right. When's the last time you, you told someone else, I was wrong? Meekness grows from humility. It grows from humility. And it's sustained by faith. Meekness is sustained by faith. Faith in God is what empowers one to be meek. It's strengthened and sustained by trusting that God is sovereign, that he's in control, and that he's good and just, and he will judge the earth in righteousness. Jesus' words here in Matthew 5.5 are almost an exact quote of Psalm 37 in the Old Testament. In fact, if you want to turn there for a moment, Psalm 37. Let's look at verse 8. Psalm 37 is a psalm of David. Look at verse 8. It says, Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. 
Fret not yourself. It means don't be anxious. It tends only to evil. So here's a temptation to get angry, to burst out in wrath, to be anxious. And why? What's the cause? Why is, why is David saying this here in this psalm? Well, if we look at the rest of the psalm, the cause, what would be making the person here angry and fretful, is that there are evildoers. There are those who are oppressing others. They're being unjust. And they seem to be getting away with it. They're prospering. But instead of allowing anger to simmer, instead of plotting revenge, instead of, of thinking of a way to make the evil pay for the way they're persecuting and mistreating us, this psalm calls us to refrain. And it calls us not just to refrain, but to refrain in faith and trust in God. It doesn't just say, just don't get angry. Just control yourself. Just, just do it. Just buckle down and hold it in. No. There are reasons why we're to f- refrain. Reasons are given as to why the godly who are suffering unjustly shouldn't be anxious. There are reasons why they shouldn't feel the need to take matters into their own hands and retaliate. Look at verse 9 of Psalm 37. It says, For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. Those who wait for the, on the Lord. Waiting, trusting in God, in His timing, in His wisdom, in His justice. Rather than taking matters into our own hands, those who wait on the Lord shall inherit the land. Keep reading in verse 10. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. Those who wait on the Lord shall inherit the land. That that sounds a lot like the meek shall inherit the earth. The meek shall inherit the land. Not those who fight back, not those who who lash out in retaliation, not those who take justice into their own hands. Those are who the world would tell you would get ahead. Those, Those are who you'd think would inherit the land. You know, we're told that if if you want to maintain, if you want to, if you want to be taken care of, you've got to take care of yourself. You've got to stand up for yourself. Or else you'll just get walked all over. You've got to let people know, you know, don't tread on me. You'll get bit. Don't don't come at me. Don't mess with me. You'll regret it. I'll make you pay. If you allow others to walk all over you, you'll, you'll just end up losing. You'll end up poor and destitute, trampled on. That's the that's the attitude of the world. That's the logic of a world where there is no God, where there is no judge in the heaven who is observing everything, where there is no sovereign God who is ruling over all. If there is no God, there's no final reckoning. There's no judge. There's no judgment day. There's no one to bring justice on the earth, and therefore it's all up to us. And if we don't take vengeance 
wrongdoers might get away with it. But this isn't the way of the follower of Christ. They trust that there is a God and that he will be faithful and just and that no evil will go unpunished and that he will reward those who trust in him, who wait on him. Because of this confidence, they don't fret. They're not anxious. They're not defensive and they can refrain from anger and wrath. They trust God to take care of them They wait on God, and they keep doing the next right thing. So really, being meek shows a deep confidence, a deep faith in God. Our actions follow our beliefs. The reason that you are sitting on a church pew this morning, one of the reasons is that you trust the the church pew to hold your weight, and and that's not just going to collapse underneath you. Our actions follow our beliefs. You act meekly towards others because you believe God will take care of you, that he'll hold you, and that he'll take care of them. He's the judge. He will judge justly. He will judge the world, including those who mistreat us, as he sees fit. Or he will show them mercy as he's shown us mercy and overlooked all the times when we've mistreated others. The meek live in obedience to Romans chapter 12. In Romans 12, we get a glimpse of meekness in action. I'll just read a few verses from there. It says, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. When we look in the pages of Scripture at those described as meek, This is how they lived. This is how they conducted themselves towards others. This is how they responded to criticism and mistreatment. It's helpful to look at a few examples from the scriptures itself. So think about Abraham and his relationship with his nephew Lot. Abraham had been called by God to go to a land that God would show him. And Lot, his nephew, kind of just tagged along. And Down the road, you know, as the journey progressed, Lot's servants weren't getting along with Abraham's servants. And so they decided to part ways. Now, Abraham had the right, as Lot's elder, and as the one who God had originally called to take this trip in the first place, Abraham had had every right to have the first pick of the land. You know, where was he going to settle? Lot would have understood, you know, that would have only been fair. But Abraham set aside his rights. He thought of Lot before himself, even though Lot didn't deserve it. He gave his nephew first pick. Giving up your rights for another. Putting someone else's interests above your own. Thinking of them more highly than yourself. That was meekness on Abraham's part. Or think of Moses in Numbers 12. 
It says, it says of Moses there, that the man Moses was very meek, more than all people who were on the face of the earth. Now in that passage, in, in Numbers 12, Moses is being opposed by his own family, by his own siblings, Miriam and Aaron. And they had become jealous of his position as the leader of Israel. And as a result of that jealousy, they were bringing personal attacks against him, trying to to undermine him. Moses, he responded not by defending himself. He didn't fight back. He was meek, and God fought for him. In return for the personal attacks, in return for them undermining his leadership, Moses prayed for them. Moses prayed that God would be merciful to Miriam when she was struck with leprosy. And God was merciful. You see, meekness and vengeance can't coexist. One will overpower the other. Meekness leaves revenge to God because it believes that vengeance is his and that he will repay in his own way, in his own timing, that God is just. Meekness prays for God's blessing on those who set themselves up as our enemies as Moses did here. Or think of our Lord Jesus himself. He was meek. If anyone ever had this virtue and perfection, it was Christ. It was the God-man himself. He invited the weary and the heavy laden to come to him to rest because he is meek and lowly in heart. Christ was so meek that in 2 Corinthians, when Paul would make a strong appeal to the church, he does so by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. You know, just as a word to to the guys here, sometimes we might think of, we might misunderstand meekness as being something feminine or something that, you know, it's not for a strong and, and manly man to have. It's not a quality that we would think highly of. But if anyone shows us how to be a true man, if anyone modeled that well, it's Jesus himself. And Jesus was gentle. Jesus was approachable. He knew when to speak a strong word, but he also knew how to be meek and humble and gentle. What humility God the Son had in taking on a body and coming to earth. He who made everything made himself as nothing, coming to this earth and taking on our miserable existence taking on a mortal body, subject to death. He was gentle and approachable, so much so that that little children felt that they could come up to him and, and sit on his knee as he blessed them. Though he made us, he came not to be served. He didn't have an entitled mentality. Rather, he came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. As it says in Mark 10.45, he stooped to the lowest to the most degrading task. Nothing was too low for Jesus. He washed the feet of the disciples, something that was reserved for the lowest slaves at the time. He washed Peter's feet, and he washed Judas's feet. He exercised great restraints. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He suffered for the good of others. He laid down his rights 
for the most undeserving. He was beaten and didn't complain. He died so that others might live forever. He extended forgiveness and grace to those who weren't even looking for it, to those who'd only been his enemies. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Read of Jesus' life and you will see meekness on display, gentleness, compassion, laying down his rights voluntarily, stooping low to serve others and to care for their needs above his own. He sought the good of others and allowed himself to suffer in the cause of loving others. His days were long as he continually poured himself out for the good of others. His nights were short as he lost sleep and as he had nowhere to lay his head and as he got up early before it was light to spend time with his father in prayer. He bore patiently with sinners, loving those who deserved no love, but only his condemnation. And as he hung there dying on the cross, he could have called down legions of angels to strike dead those who are mocking him and spitting on him and putting him to death. He would have had every right to do so. But he withheld. He waited. He continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly until he gave his final breath. He gave up his very life on the cross in the place of sinners in order to save them. Even though at that very moment, some of those were still mocking him and cursing at him as he died. Jesus showed us, both by his teaching and by his example, what it is to be meek. The meek are people that you feel safe around. You don't feel like you're hiking around the base of a smoking volcano that could explode at any moment and cover you with ash and smoke and fire. Meek people aren't quick to wrath. They're slow to anger. Some people seem to walk around with their, with their jaw always set and their fists always clenched, ready to strike at anyone who would cross them. Mess with them and you will get an earful. Others might take a more legal approach. And they're ready to sue anyone and everyone for the slightest offense. Oh, they love justice. And they'll have it to the fullest extent of the law. If you cross their boundaries and trespass on their rights, you'll be hearing about it from their lawyers. They'll prosecute you to the last penny the law will allow. In the spirit of the unforgiving servant, they use their lawyers to grab their creditors by the throat, saying, pay me what you owe. You dare cross me, and you'll pay. That's not a Christian attitude. That's not meekness. If you take your brother by the throat to make him pay the thousands he owes you, can you think God will forgive you the trillions, the infinite debt that you owe him? Those who know God's forgiveness, those who've experienced his grace, they delight in extending forgiveness to others and showing others grace. As Charles Spurgeon said, the meek-spirited man forgives those who wrong him. He reckons that injuries are permitted to be done to him as trials of his grace to see whether he can forgive them. And he does so and does so right heartily. Listen to Spurgeon again. He said, 
It used to be said of Archbishop Cranmer, do my Lord of Canterbury an ill turn, and he will be a friend to you as long as you live. That was a noble spirit, to take a man who had been his enemy and to make him henceforth his friend for life. That's meekness. Because the meek are first humble, they're not resentful at being treated so poorly. Instead, they're surprised at being treated as well as they are. They know the darkness of their own hearts. They felt deeply what they truly deserve if God should give them justice. They're humble before God, knowing that if God gave them what they deserved, they would be cast into the outer darkness forever. And that humility expresses itself in meekness towards others. When others say negative things about their character, they don't say to themselves, how dare they say something so mean about someone so good and honorable as myself. They're reminded of their own unworthiness. Because they're poor in spirit, they readily admit with Paul, in me, that is in my flesh, dwells no good thing. And so they confess, you know, if that person really saw me as I really am, I'm sure they'd have far worse things to say. And even though the person may not be accurate in their specific criticism, the meek are not easily offended. The only good in them they know is from God. They're not quick to defend their own name and reputation. They're not always trying to maintain a good front in front of others. They're not argumentative. They're not always trying to defend themselves. They're not indignant when others speak a harsh word or curse at them or slander them. They take rebuke thankfully. They take criticism, whether founded or unfounded, with patience and grace, seeking to bless those who curse them. So that's what it is to be meek. Meekness is a quality that flows from humility and is fueled by faith in God. It's modest rather than attention-seeking. When it suffers wrong, it trusts God to make things right and loves to make friends out of enemies and would rather forgive a thousand wrongs than avenge one. It's gentle, approachable, kind, and considerate of others. It's the opposite of harshness. It's the opposite of being quick-tempered. It's the opposite of being vengeful or proud or ambitious. But having considered what it is to be meek, let's turn our attention now to the, the blessedness of the meek, which is our second point. And we'll spend much less time on our second point. It's much shorter. How are the meek blessed? What is their blessing? What does it mean that the meek shall inherit the earth? Does that just mean that they they kind of are at peace with things as they are and, you know, they just feel like everything is theirs and the whole world is theirs. I think most of what this means is future. It's future tense. It's saying not that they already have the earth, but it's they shall inherit the earth. It's a promise of God of something to come. What the world thought was to be had by selfish ambition, by fighting for your own rights, by stomping on others in order to get your own way, by protecting yourself and asserting yourself and looking out for number one, all of that goes to the meek. 
those who trust God. God comes to bat for the meek. God takes care of those who wait on him. The meek will inherit the earth. Though they may suffer now, refusing to retaliate, refraining from anger, God will give them more than they could have ever gotten by Satan's way of getting justice. God will give them an inheritance, and he says they will inherit the earth. Not just a piece of it, the earth. And what God gives them by right of inheritance, who will take away? You know, if you're the heir of something that God is giving you, who's going to take it? And they won't have this miserable, broken world that we live in right now. They'll have the new heavens and the new earth that God will make and that Christ is preparing for those who love him. And they'll reign with Christ in the new creation. They'll inherit the earth. Eternal life with God, you know, it won't be inherited by disembodied spirits just floating around in the atmosphere somewhere. God is going to raise our bodies and give us new bodies. And we'll walk on solid ground and enjoy the new creation. We'll feast with God and we'll enjoy the fruit of the vine in the new world with our God and Savior, who himself said that he would not drink of it again until he drank of it with us in his kingdom. We'll have bodies and we will inherit the earth. The paradise that was lost by Adam's sin will have been regained by Christ's obedience and it will be given to the meek, to all who trust on him. And notice also that it will be given only to the meek. The pronoun they, that's that's translated they, they shall inherit the earth, it's an emphatic pronoun. And it's, it's pointing to the fact that this is the inheritance only of the meek. This reiterates the importance of meekness. It's not something that's optional. Not something that some Christians can have and some Christians can avoid. All of us are called to be meek. But praise be to God. By his Holy Spirit, he gives us the power over sin. So that whatever our natural disposition might be, we have the power of God at work within us to help us be meek. We might might be naturally short-tempered and have a short fuse, but God can change all that. We can't make peace with any of our sins or, or make excuses based on our personality. God is at work within us to conform us to the likeness of Christ, to conform us to the likeness of our meek and humble in heart Savior. This victory over sin that we have is bought by the very blood of Christ. And it's for every believer. So Christian, pray that God would help you to be more meek. This is something that all of us can grow in. We've never fully arrived at being as meek as we could possibly be. So let's pray that God would help us be more meek. Let's focus on God because by walking humbly before him, by focusing on who he is, recognizing our own unworthiness and mourning over our sin, that's what fuels our meekness. That's what what it grows out of. And then rejoice in his forgiveness. Rejoice in his grace. And the closer we get to Jesus, the more meek we'll become. The more we trust him, the more we'll be able to be meek. So trust in God and let him avenge or show mercy as he wills. 
and brothers and sisters and delight in mercy because it's that mercy that has saved your soul. And rejoice, for you are blessed. You will inherit the earth. You have the promise of the one who rose from the dead and is returning to give to us all things. Perhaps as you've been listening, you've heard of of meekness described and you realize, you know, that, that doesn't describe me. Perhaps you've looked at your own life and you've realized, you know, I'm not that way. I would would encourage you, friend, don't just try to be more meek by self-effort. Don't think that this is something that you can attain by just trying harder. We become meek as a result of knowing and loving the meek and lowly Savior. He says to you this morning, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me, upon you, And learn from me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So in conclusion, meekness isn't weakness. It's supernatural restraint. It's kindness in spite of mistreatment. And it flows from true humility and faith in God. Those who don't stand up for themselves and their rights, but lay them down for the good of others, We'll suffer for it in the short term. But it's only the meek who will inherit the earth. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, help us to trust in you. I pray that if there are any here that are having a hard time trusting in you this morning, Lord, you would help them. You would help them to see that you are trustworthy. Lord, help us, for our faith is often weak. We thank you, Lord, that it's not the strength of our faith that saves us, but the one in whom our faith is placed, in Jesus Christ. May he be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.